Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is the author, Sonia Christensen, who during her near-death experience was in total peace, and today we're going to learn about it. Sonia, thank you for being my guest today and welcome. Thank you for asking me. I'm excited to be here. All right, Sonia, if you don't mind, let's start on the day your NDE happened and go from there. I'm the oldest of 13. And at that time, our family was a little bit smaller, but not much. We had a lot of kids. And we were taken to visit a friend on the lake for the day as a little vacation. And so all these kids running around, jumping in the water and... Our father would just throw us in the water because the idea was, well, sink or swim. You'll learn how to swim. And so it was just a game. And when my turn came again after several times, this time I landed wrong. My father was throwing me in the water. I mean, I could feel the cool breeze on my wet skin as we flew through the air. And bam, I hit on my back hard. And it's like every bit of air just whooshed out of my lungs so fast. I went down like a rock and I couldn't move. And the water was cold and black and I was scared. I couldn't get out. I was thrashing and moving. And all of a sudden, this voice, it was a lady's voice. And she said, stop struggling. And I didn't, I just kept, I needed air. And everything I did just made me go down more. And she said, stop struggling quite firmly and it scared me it was like and then it's like everything changed I stopped struggling and suddenly instead of the dark cold lake water the water had turned into a beautiful greenish yellow light and I I don't know how to describe it because it It wasn't like I was looking through water. It was like I was looking through a beautiful glass that was pale green and pale yellow. It's like light through pale green jello. That's the only thing I could think of. And then she said, stop struggling. You will be okay. You can go or you can stay. But if you remain calm, you will be able to get through anything in your life. And I noticed around me the leaves and stems coming up from the bottom of the lake with like little diamond crystals all around the edges of the leaves and the stems. And afterwards, I realized it was probably water bubbles or rather air bubbles in the water. But at the time, It just looked like diamonds surrounding everything. And the water itself, all the little debris and leaves or whatever it was in the bottom of the lake were just floating in the water. And it was like diamonds, like stars from the sky. And I was so calm. It was so peaceful. 
oh God, I didn't want to go. It was so nice. And then all of a sudden, this hard hand grasped my wrist. And it was my father. He had, as soon as he realized I wasn't coming up, he jumped in to save me. And he pulled me up. And the next thing I remember, laying on the hard ground with people jumping on me. I mean, I was throwing up. I was coughing. I was trying to breathe. I couldn't breathe. I was full of water. And I was hurting. But then I realized and remembered the calmness. And it was, oh, I came back. It was the most amazing thing that had ever happened to me. And I have never, ever been afraid of dying my whole life. And I'm almost 80 now, but I've never been afraid. And I know that I don't have a lot of time compared to what I've already had, but it's okay. I'm cool with it because everything, the love was so intense and I never, ever forgot it. And I can't say I saw Jesus or anything like that. It was just the voice and the peace. The peace was so overwhelming. And it was just amazing. And someone asked me the other day how long I was under. It felt like hours, hours being in that peace and love. And you can't describe it. But in reality, it couldn't have been more than a minute or two. Because my father grabbed me. I was still alive. And I know that after two minutes, you're kind of brain dead. You don't get beyond that usually and be normal. So I know it wasn't hours. But I never forgot it. And any time that I get upset or depressed, I think of that moment. And that's carried me through my life. It's like you always have a choice and it's okay. Whatever it is you're going through, it's okay. Be calm. I don't know if that has given you the information you're looking for, but that's, that's what I remember. Thank you for sharing your experience with us, Sonia. Who do you think that voice was that was speaking to you? I never connected to to a human being. And I thought it was an angel because of there was nothing but love. And it's so hard to express what that feels like when you're a human being because there was nothing else. Even oozing from the plants in the bottom of the water, it was nothing fearful and scary. It was, it was like even the plants giving off this energy of love, everything. I think you said that you carried this with you for the rest of your life. So whenever you're in times of a lot of stress or difficulty in your life, would you think back to this and then remember to remain calm and that would help you get through the hard times? Yes. And I just, I always felt, I mean, I was taught as a child in many different religious situations that Jesus loves you and that whole song that goes on and that God loves you. It, that didn't exactly fit with all of my life. I didn't always remember that, but that voice, I never forgot that creator, whatever you believe that to be is love. And that's what I came away with. And yes, I've always thought of it because some things that were not good, and some of that is in the book, but some things in everybody's life is not good. So if you can reach out to something that supports you and believe that, it helps you move forward in your life, whatever your life is. 
What age were you when this happened? About 12. About 12. Has the memory of this experience faded over the years, or is it as still real today as it was the day it happened? When I think of it, I feel myself in warm, safe, cocooned water. And that brings me to a peace place of calmness for my work, for my writing, for my life in general, whatever, whether the car breaks down or the roof blows off. I mean, it's okay. We'll deal with it. You've got the strength. Just be calm and the information will come to you. After your experience, did you have any new cognitive abilities, which may even be considered to be psychic? Well, I've had that since I was born. And the first thing I remember, my mother and I were in this country and we were looking for a place to live. And I was probably about four or five. And we went by a place that a sign was looking for a photographer, which my mother was. And we walked in front of it. I said, oh, that's our new house. I see my room. And my mother was horrified. Don't say that. Don't ever talk like that. And I just, I couldn't understand why she was upset. And then we we ended up going in. She ended up getting the job. And the room was exactly as I described. It was painted institution green. It was a tiny little room, but it was exactly what I saw. And so I knew something had to be real. But I've had these experiences throughout my life. Did you get any new ones or an increase in that ability? Well, it seemed so. But in that time, it wasn't the done thing. It wasn't, you don't talk about that. You don't talk to people about that because they figure you're crazy or you're working with the devil. And I was told that often as a child. And so I learned after all to keep my mouth shut. And one of the things that happened when I was young, um, the house, the place where my mother got her job and we lived upstairs and the children the young, young teenagers of the family often babysat me and they just got tired of me, I guess. And they said, Oh, go draw. So they sat me down in the kitchen with papers and stuff and I would draw. And we lived at that time near the ocean and I would draw pictures, but the boats were always under the water. And I said, that's not what I, I want to draw a house. There's, these, there's the water and there's the boats under the water. And I never could figure it out. And people would get upset because I was drawing strange things. A few years later, my mother married what would be my adopted father. I didn't know they weren't married. You didn't talk to kids about that kind of stuff back then. And after a while, I found out that he was a sonar operator in the Navy. Hmm. That's why the boats were under the water. It was a story of what was going to be a few years later. But I had no way of knowing that at the time. Have you noticed that you've had any negative after effects from your NDE? I don't think I did. I thought it was wonderful. And it gave me the strength to continue through some very difficult times in my life, especially as a younger child. There are a lot of negative things that happened. And many at the time I couldn't understand and could not figure out what I could do. But regardless of the situation, that memory always came back. But if you're calm, the answers will come. You'll be all right. And that got me through some bad things. 
You are the author of the book, Journey of the Star Children Through Time. And I think that's about how you met your husband and then you reconnected with him years later. Can you tell yes. us a little bit more about that? Yes. Well, my husband and I met when we were about 10 years old and we met during Bible study. And over time, he started talking to me about strange things in his life. And it's like, oh, wow, I can do that too. I saw those things. And we realized that we both could see fairies. And it wasn't until many years later when I read about Edgar Casey that I realized an adult person actually saw fairies. So maybe I'm not crazy. But over the few years, we had about four years together. And we saw each other during on Wednesday nights, usually during Bible study. And during the adult portion, we were allowed to go sit on the lawn in the front of the house and we talked. And one of the things that we both agreed that our parents should come get us sometime soon. Hmm. They must be from the stars because we have such a yucky life and they can't be our real parents. So we have real parents up there somewhere. But we would sit on the lawn and take our flashlight and and code SOS. The only only Morse code I still remember. Um and of course, nothing ever happened, but we really believed we had to come from the stars because the parents we had couldn't be our real parents. So and when we were about 14, his parents were had to change to a different congregation. They were minister, uh, minister missionaries. And um, so at 14, what do you do? He had to go with his parents. They moved out of state. And it was many years before we saw each other again. We both lived our lives and married people and had families and life went on. And then I was in a situation that was very dangerous and he had a dream. Now, he was living in a totally different part of the country and we hadn't seen each other for about 47 years or heard from each other or knew anything about each other. But he had a dream that I was in danger. My mother had the same phone number she had when we were kids. So on a hunch, he called the number. She answered. And she told him where I was. And he reached out to me, and I was shocked. It's like, oh, why are you calling me? Hmm. And because it had been so many years. And he started telling me about a dream he had that I was in danger. And every single thing he said was absolutely accurate. And it really shocked me. But it saved my life in the end because somebody was truly trying to kill me. Hmm. And once I realized that this was a true story and not just some nut person calling me up or my own imagination, I was able to take action and take care of the situation. And it was after that, that we got back together again. And during the years apart, we both had our own adventures of learning and both of us were, I guess you would say, had a psychic gift or a healing gift. We both studied under Native American teachers, shamans, that taught us many Native ways. We both became Reiki masters. We both did healing work. And all of this happened without the other knowing. I had a sense he was alive, but so many years had passed and I had no idea how to reach him, that basically that part of my life just was put away, and his as well. So 
we were together for nearly 20 years and he passed two years ago. You mentioned that you both have psychic gifts and you also mentioned earlier that you had this ability even before your NDE. I feel like a lot of people's gifts happen due to something or some type of event in their life that kind of turned that ability on. Do you think that you had some other event before your NDE that maybe gave you that ability? I don't know. I know my grandfather was a healer. He was a medical doctor as well as a hands-on healer. I know that my mother also had these gifts, was not allowed to use them. There were a lot of negative things that happened during the Second World War with different governments and psychic abilities and um, remote viewing. And she was part of some of that, which is the reason that I figured later that she was so upset by my having some of these abilities. But I had an aunt that also had these abilities. So a lot of it was in the family. Hmm. And the only thing that I think I picked up or that changed with the NDE was the fact that I totally believed that I had a choice. Not only about coming and going or going, but how I organized my life. And I could reach into this energy and use it for good and positive or not. What about your husband? Did he have any event in his life? Yes. His, well, his first event that he remembers is the time that he left his body. He had had a great deal of difficulties in his young life, and he had to get away. It was so upsetting. And all of a sudden, he had left his body, and it really shocked him. But once he realized he could do it, it didn't stop him. He was left all the time. And when things would get very difficult, he would fly out. And that's one thing we did that we could do with the adults not knowing is that I would see him. Maybe you could say it was like an apparition. I don't know what you would call it, but I could see him in the night and he'd say, come on, let's go. And I'd meet him at the top of the stairs and we'd fly out across the orchards together. You also, at some point in your life, got into meditation because you have books out about that, correct? Yes. Can you tell us about that? How I started meditating? Mm -hmm. Well, just in general, how you became interested and started. Because I realized that if I could remain calm and not have the, the wild horses jumping around in my brain, that I could do lots of other things. And therefore, other people could do lots of other things as well. If you are calm and you can direct your mind. So that's why I started learning about meditation and teaching it in my classes on stress management. I started out teaching stress management. And, um, but that's why I have a book on meditation because there's a lot of ways to just be quiet. When we pray, we are speaking or asking. When we meditate, we are listening. We're quieting our mind so we can listen to the higher force. Now, you may call that God or some higher being by whatever name you call that. It doesn't matter. It's like, I don't believe God cares what name we use. But if you can quiet your mind and go with whatever it is you personally believe in, you will get answers and calmness and be at peace. And you don't have to be a guru or some do weird things. Hmm. 
you mentioned that when you were younger, you went to church and that's how you met your husband, I think, in Bible study. Are you still yes. religious today? And do you still go to church? No. I don't go to church because I don't fit in most churches. I uh, I am a spiritualist, but there's no spiritualist church in Oklahoma. Yeah. But I became a spiritualist because I had abilities and thought I was crazy or evil. And I found a group of people that had the same abilities that I did. And I felt at home. But my mother changed religions like most people of the day changed hats. So I was exposed to a lot of different belief systems, which at the time was very confusing, but now it isn't because my belief system is whatever it is you believe, God knows more than we do. God made us. We're all part of the same whole. Everything is connected. We are human beings. We have a lot of input in our scriptures from many different areas, and sometimes they're correct. And sometimes they're not. But I figure our God knows that. So I don't worry about it. I just try to do the best I can. And I certainly believe in God and Jesus and religion. I just don't belong to a specific group. Now, your title is Journey of the Star Children. And you and your husband used to think that, you know, you were from the stars. Do you today believe that you are from the stars? And if so, do you know what planet you would be from? Well, part of the reason that the book is named this is not only because of a childish belief system, which may or may not be true. Who knows? I don't. But on the West Coast, when he was studying with the natives he was studying with, he was given this name of Star Eyes, Star Eyes, Shaman of the People. When I was studying on the East Coast with my native teachers, they gave me the name of Starshine. Neither my husband or I knew of this, and we didn't know about it until we got back together in later years. Hmm. So it's also his belief that he came from Orion, the Orion constellation, the um, middle star on his belt. And the fact that as adults, we were both given these names. I've had a handful of podcasts about star seeds. So I was just kind of wondering, do you think you're star seed? I and have no idea. No we certainly idea. could be or not. It's like, I don't, my time doesn't go to thinking about that. Because I know that I am connected and to the energy of the universe and the, and everything is energy. Everything is vibration. Everything is connected to each other beyond what humankind can understand. Scientists think they know everything. They have presumptions as well as we do. There's a lot they certainly know, and I'm not discounting that, but there's so much more that they argue over. And it's, it's just, it's all connected. It doesn't matter if you're a butterfly or a mouse or a tree, the energy is the same. It's all vibration. It's all connected. And we all hear and can speak to each other. It may not be in English. It may just be in vibes. But there is a reason that I could feed wild bears out of my hand growing up in the woods. And there is a reason why I could pick up a wild 
raccoon from the cellar that was trapped and take him outside and everybody having a fit because he didn't hurt me. Mm. Anybody can do this. And there are many Aboriginal people all over the world that have these skills and understand the connections. Our modern human beings have forgotten the connections of everything together, whether it's the earth or the sky, the animals and plants. We really are all one. That's my belief system anyway. Do you believe in reincarnation? I believe that there's certainly a possibility of our energy coming back. As far as being queen so-and-so and 40,000 years ago, it's like, who knows or who cares? That's not an important thing. But I think it's the essence because we never die. We are energy. Energy cannot be destroyed. Energy changes form. And we know that if we look around us. There are people that believe there is a crystalline grid around the world and that all the souls and all the energy and all the thoughts, everything we've ever done through our lifetime goes into that grid. Now, I can't prove that, but who knows? And that grid, when it's time for you to come back, if you come back, and I believe it's free free will choice, then you would be part of that grid coming back to earth. And I don't know how to explain that in a sensible way, but there are a lot of people that believe that. And there are many people who believe that the earth is so connected to everything and can hear everything we do and say, particularly Aboriginal people and our local natives. They believe in that. And so who's to say they're wrong? They're more connected to the earth than most modern people. I don't count anything. If you knew somebody who is grieving over a lost loved one, and we're wondering if they were okay on the other side, what kind of advice would you give them? I would ask them to look at what their belief system is. What does their belief system tell them? Because that is what the core is of what, well, it's what you believe. If you believe you're going to be an angel and you're with God in the sky, then that's how you support the person that believes that. Because in the end, whether you are right or wrong, it depends on how you can give comfort to that person that's in pain. So it doesn't matter if I am right. What matters is the person can trust what they believe. And if there is a difference, when they get there, they'll understand that. But right now, it will give them comfort to what they believe. So to me, it's always support their belief system. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how can they contact you? Yes, I'm certainly open to that. And you can reach, I'm on Facebook, but you can also reach me on my website. It's www.starchildrenjourney.com. And you can see excerpts of the book there too. And there's a place where you can write to me and I can answer you. Well, you have the books out. Do you have anything else going on that you'd like us to know about? Well, I'm going to be at the um, Gypsy Soul Fair in Fort Smith, Arkansas, on May 21st and 22nd. And there are going to be about 40 vendors there, and I'll be there with my book. I'm also going to be a featured speaker, and I will be speaking on the gifts we have and how to use them. And the gifts can be anything from laying on of hands to remembering and truly meaning 
to smile at somebody in the grocery store. Can you, because it all makes a difference in our energy and our own personal feeling. Can you give us a little bit of what you're going to speak about? Well, we all have gifts. And we all, sometimes we don't recognize that, these, that we have these gifts. Sometimes it's a gift of being a doctor or a teacher that you can impact other lives and you do a really good job at it. And sometimes it's just remembering to say thank you to the store clerk and mean it. Because when you don't know how your words impact another human being. And if you have a good attitude and you can remember to say thank you or please or let me get the door for you, whatever little thing, you think that's nothing. But by virtue of you making that eye contact and smiling and looking at someone directly, they know you mean thank you. They know you mean, oh, go ahead of me. I don't mind. You don't know if that little bit of something would make a major difference in their life. You don't know if their dog just died or if somebody's sick and they need that little bit of kindness. That's a gift. And that will come automatically if you allow it. Also, the bigger gifts, the gifts of writing, the gifts of drawing. These seems like artsy things, but they're things that touch another person's soul. Gift of gardening how to grow flowers and give them to your neighbors. Every kindness, every thoughtfulness is a gift. And we have the ability to give that. And it's no cost of ours. I believe it comes from our creator. And we have the choice to use it or not. We can be pissy and growly at people. Or you can walk away and say, okay, I see you're having a bad day. I'm moving along. But it's your choice. And the more of the world that can understand They don't have to be a great artist or a great doctor or a great scholar to have gifts that impact everybody and everything. When I'm teaching a class on energy, one of the things I do is I have my students grow beans in a cup. Now, that sounds kind of juvenile. But if you take beans and set them up in a cup with, um, we take a plastic cup or glass put in cotton batten and a piece of paper around the edge. Then you put the bean between the glass and the paper. One glass of beans is just going to be somewhere in the light and you're going to water it and that's it. The other bean, you're going to put it right next to it, but you're going to talk to it. You're going to sing to it. You're going to hold your hands over it. You're going to tell it what a good job it's doing. Guess which bean grows the best. Mm. It's this easy way to show people that their attitude and their intention makes a difference. It's a very simple thing, but that opens the door into learning how to do energy and how to deal with stress. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that. I thought so. So besides Fort Smith, um, June 12th, I'm going to be at Chuck's Classic Cycles, and they're doing a fundraiser for the local fire department. And I will be doing some readings and some energy work there. And 100% of the donations for me will go directly to the fire department. Oh, that's great. And that's in Tuscahoma, Oklahoma. Show us what your book looks like. Can you see it? Yeah, it's nice. Very nice yeah. cover. Thank you. It was not the cover that I expected, but I'm very happy with it. My my cover was too busy. when What I was telling the producers... Um, the publishers, what I wanted for a cover was much busier and this I like better because it's simple. Yeah. 
they did a good job. Yes, they did. Have you had any contact with your husband after he transitioned? Yes, I have. I believe that when I was going through his notes, the first thing I had was, I felt like he was standing next to me and I'm thinking it's got to be my imagination, but we have very different writing styles. I am dyslexic. So I make a lot of mistakes. It takes me a long time to go over everything I write. He is a perfect writer. And when the editors got my manuscript, everything that I wrote that was part of his notes and that I could remember was perfect. Every period, every word, not a misspell, nothing. They didn't have to do anything. My work, oh my golly. It just had to change this, change that. And then they said, well, why did you say this? Because he didn't say that. It's like, I had to go through everything and redo and redo and redo. Not one thing of his had to be redone. And I know I didn't write it. And then I was working with trying to figure out something of his to put on the back cover. And I just was struggling so much. And I remember one night I went to bed and I was still on my mind. I couldn't get rid of it. And about five o'clock in the morning, I woke up and it was getting to be dawn. And from where I lay in my bed, I could see the bathroom wall. And I saw this fuzzy ball up in the corner of the bathroom, way in the other end of the room. I said, something's wrong. I rubbed my eyes. What's the matter with my eyes? I kept looking and it's still there. I got up, turned on the light in the bathroom, nothing. So went back to bed. Well, it must be my eyes. I can go back to sleep. So I laid down. I looked again. It was there and I watched it and it started to move. It was moving along the top edge of the wall, closer and closer to me. And I kept watching it. And then all of a sudden turned into like an amoeba shape. And we're just going across the top of the wall. And I'm thinking, what the heck? And heck is not the word I used. And then it came right to the edge of the bathroom and bedroom door. And it was got a bigger ball before it was a smaller ball. And all of a sudden, it just exploded. And it was like silver rings with pushing ocean foam forward. And I don't know how else to explain it. And it just hit me like that. I said, oh, and I couldn't stop crying. And I knew immediately what the words were for the back of the book. And they hit me and I knew it was him because in the book, I write a story about, I call it jumping face. And this, he was in Florida and I was in Maine and I was laying on my futon resting and all of a sudden the wall opened and the ocean came in and hit me and I screamed and jumped up because and oh crap I was dry what was that and I looked the wall was all right and his face was there next thing I know the phone is ringing and I knew it was him and I what the he said oh I was walking along the beach and I thought you liked some ocean and I thought I would send it to you Because of his deep ability to meditate or meditate deeply, he could go into this deep meditation and actually send things to anywhere. And there's another story about him doing this when I was working in an office and he knew that the scent of orange was my favorite scent. And suddenly the whole office smelled like oranges. And some of us girls went and looked around we went down in the basement and everywhere else in the building 
and we could smell oranges, but we could not smell where it came from. And we asked the, the um, um, super guys, you know, that do the, the cleaning stuff. I forget what you call them, supervisor people. Are you eating oranges for lunch? No, no, nobody had any oranges anywhere in the building. And the phone rang and it was him. How did you like your oranges? Hmm. And I almost, if he'd been there, I would have. But so I knew he had the ability and I knew absolutely it was him. And this is the, this is the um, quote that he wanted. Um, Cause I can't read it. Um, well, it basically says, always listen to the guidance of spirit because it will guide you where you need to be. That's not direct because I can't see it without the lights on up here. So, but that's basically what it says. But if you get the book, you'll see the back. But that is, so I know he's been around. Oh, one more thing. Do I have time? Sure. All right. This is shortly after he passed. And he was in a coma. This was during the early days of COVID. And he was in a coma. And a friend of ours who'd only been with us, seen us a couple of times, did not know our personal story. She called me and said, I got a message from Fuzz. And that was his nickname. Oh, back up to the other story. His nickname was Fuzz. And when we were fooling around together, I'd always call him Fuzzballs. And that's why he presented himself as a Fuzzball in the bathroom coming across the wall. So she said, I got a message from Fuzz. Okay, I know I have these abilities, but all I could think of, I just rolled my eyes. It's like, yeah, right. Why would you have a message from him? And before I could say that, she said, he gave me a message because he knew you were too upset to hear him, which was true. The message was, find a box, red box with a brown string. Okay, I'm scratching my head. We never went in each other's stuff. I mean, he, I do the laundry, but he'd put his own stuff away because he knew if he went into my drawers, I would shoot him. Boom, that's it, done. So we didn't get into each other's stuff. So I never opened his drawers. So something said, okay, check, start with, the, with his nightstand. So open the nightstand, nothing. Medical stuff, open the next drawer, book stuff. Open the next drawer, piece of paper. I lifted up the paper and there was a red, heart-shaped box with a brown string. It was a gift I had given him over 20 years ago. I had never seen it after I gave it to him. And I didn't ask him because it was a gift and I didn't want to be rude. I didn't want to say, what did you do with it? What if he didn't like it? That would really hurt me. So I just didn't say anything. In the box, well, when I was a kid, I had long braids. One day my mother got mad at me, grabbed me by the braids and whacked them off. And I saved them in a box, in a box of chocolates for Valentine's Day. It was a small box and I had saved it. And when we finally got back together again, I still had it and I gave it to him. And for 20 years, he had that in his drawer and I never knew. And the lady that gave me the message would not have absolutely any way of knowing anything. So I know he's around, he's conscious, and he's working. And he said, if he had known it would be so wonderful, he would have left earlier. 
because he was very sick before he left. One of the last things he did for healing someone else was to work on my, I had a bad shoulder. I could not raise my arm up over my head. And the, the doctor and I talked about it and we decided that I decided surgery is not an option. I'll just deal with it. And two days before he left, I just said, my, my shoulder's killing me. Can you do something? He sandwiched my shoulder between his two hands and they got so hot. They left blisters on my shoulder. My shoulder never bothered me again. And I can use both arms perfectly. And that was the last healing he did before he left. And I feel honored that he used the last bit of his energy for me. It was the most wonderful gift of love. But knowing that he had those braids of mine for so many years and never said anything, he just had them right there by his nightstand all those years. It's just, I totally believe that there is no death as we are taught. I do believe we are all energy and we continue. Energy cannot be destroyed. It only changes form like the butterfly. Do you think we're all connected? Yes, I absolutely do. And the, one of the, this is, this is, ugh, we're all connected. And the reason, one of the reasons I believe that is not only the experience with my husband and I, but also some years ago, there was a, an experiment at Duke University and they connected trees to um, like AT, EKGs and also connected a pot of sh- boiling water they added shrimp to. And when the shrimp went in the boiling water, the tree several greenhouses away responded to the fact that those shrimp were killed. So, but what I feel about all of that connection, not only that, that we are connected. And even if we have an experience that we might not consider good or a situation, always think outside the box. There's always possibilities of more. There's always possibilities of another way to do something or to think about something or to, we have a choice of how we feel about something. We don't have to feel pissy all our lives because somebody ate our ice cream when we were four. We just, we can change that. And that changes our whole physiological complex. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Whatever your belief system is, remember that you're a part of creation and everything that you do and act on makes a difference, whether it's positive or negative. You can choose to make it positive, even if it's just a tiny thing. And it makes a difference in the whole world as a result. Sonia, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest today. I appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been fun doing this and I'm not nearly as nervous as I thought I was going to be. You did great. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.